Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. I'll tell you a little bit about our story, but before I jump into that, I wanna show you guys a picture of my family. Can I do that? My wife and kids. So this is my wife, Mandy. We have four kids. Um, Avery is our oldest over here. She actually turns 14 in about three weeks. Asher is eight. Aiden on the far right is 12. Aslan is three years old. Um, so my wife, uh, wife of four, she's full-time at our church. She's our worship and creative arts pastor. And so we are busy, busy, busy. They're in football and dance and craziness. So our lives were just, you know, going nuts all the time. But it's fun. But um, I, I always miss them. This morning, about three or four in the morning, Aslan, the youngest, jumped in our bed. And so I didn't, I mean, the little I was going to sleep last night, I didn't. But um. I'm getting ready to leave the room, and I had told her the night before that I was going to Ohio, and she was like, oh, what? And I'm like, Ohio, and she's like repeating it after me. So it's like at five in the morning, I'm about to walk out the door, and I'm in our room, I zip up my suitcase, and I'm about to walk out, and she goes, Daddy. And I was like, yeah. She goes, are you going to Ohio? Like in the pitch dark, and I go, yeah. And she was like, just get me a sucker. And I was like, okay. So yeah, it's, you know. I'll get her a sucker. So anyways, I'm like, I don't know what has to do with Ohio, but I hope you guys have good lollipops and suckers and stuff. So um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, sermon. Here we go. So um, I, um, our, a little bit of our story. So like I said, I've been on staff at our church for almost, actually almost 12 years. And I started out as our youth pastor for about nine and a half years. And um, our, 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 I'm gonna share a few of our church's stories and, and um, especially with the theme of where you guys are going this month, but I titled my sermon, It's Time to Dream Again. It's Time to Dream Again. Um, when I was 11 years old, our church went through a massive church split when my dad was just wanting to lead the church to be a little bit more evangelistic. A lot of the same people were showing up every single week. People weren't really getting baptized, you know, salvation altar calls, you know, one person would raise their hand every six months, that kind of thing church split. About 15 years later, a new vision. And the vision came out that we were going to be a church of all ages, reaching a young generation. And he actually on the stage when he launched the vision had a big target and he drew a target. And he said, I don't want to be clear. Everybody is on the target, but our bullseye has to be the young generation or we won't have a church in another generation. And um, well, a lot, you, yeah, amens. But when the rubber hits the road, a lot of people got angry. A lot of people left. Well, this church isn't about the old anymore. It's, it's, it's just about the young. And my dad's saying, no, it's about everyone. But we have to give back to the young generation. And I'm gonna share a few of these stories, but I got the opportunity to be along for this ride. Right about the time I got out of Bible college, I became the youth pastor. I was 22 years old and I'm 33 now. And um, we launched this vision, right? When I'm becoming the youth pastor, I'm like, thanks dad, no pressure. You know, church of all ages reaching a young generation, Dustin, go, you know, like I, it, was, it was a lot of pressure. But I, I got to witness all of this firsthand. And now about 10 years after we launched that vision, um, some incredible, incredible things have happened. And incredible things are already happening in your church. But I am so excited about where you guys are going and how much emphasis is going on the young generation. Because let me tell you something, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or, a, or somebody that studied culture to turn on the TV and see how bad everything's getting in the world. I believe so strongly in the young generation. This last week, our church took offerings for um, 
Hurricane Harvey stuff, all of our weekend offerings, all of our weekend offerings were less than our student ministry offerings for Hurricane Harvey. It's not like that on a normal basis ever, but why? A lot of times the older generation looks at the younger generation and they're entitled, you know, they, they don't wanna do anything, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying that's you, but I'm just saying a lot of people have that attitude. But I, just, just this last week, I watched an entire young generation in our church when there was a need and there was a cause, they rallied. And when a young generation rallies around a cause, there is nothing a young generation cannot do. Do you guys believe that? Awesome. It's time to dream again. You know, there's a difference between a good dream and a God dream. And I, when you think about your life, when I go into this message tonight, I want you guys to think about two things. I'm gonna talk about a God dream, and I wanna think about your God dream for your personal life as an individual. And I also want you to think about the God dream for the church. Because ultimately, yes, does God want to do things in and through you individually? Yes. But far more than that, he wants to do things in and through us corporately as his church because Jesus established the church to be the hope of the world. Yes? All right. Can you guys, let's be a little bit louder. I know it's Wednesday night, but when I say yes, I want everybody to go, yes. I'm talking about you guys tonight. I'm going to be like your champion tonight, but I need you guys to be a little bit louder. Can you guys say yes? There's still a few people crossing your arms. I'll get to you in a few minutes. Okay, so there's a huge difference between a good dream and a God dream. And it's a very real difference. A good dream is something you choose. A God dream chooses you. And, and I don't want you to raise your hand on this, but I, I just want you to think, have you ever actually received a God dream, a calling, something in your life that where you knew that's my purpose, that's why I'm on this earth, you know, I, I asked this question to our church a few months ago, and it was astonishing how many people came up to me afterwards in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and even 80s saying, I never have figured out why I was on this earth. I never stopped to ask God, why am I here? What's my purpose? Everybody lays down at night sometimes and, and your head's on the pillow and you're looking up at the ceiling thinking, what is all of this? Why am I here? Is it for me to have some good idea? Is it for me to dream up something? Or if I believe all of this is true, that there is a God, he created the universe, he created this world, he created mankind, he created me, and he's given us hope of heaven in the future and for us to bring heaven here now, and I'm a part of it. If we believe all of that is real, then we must believe that he created you with a very specific purpose in this life, and it's called a God dream, where he gave it to you. But it's sad how many people will live their entire lives with lacking so much meaning, so much purpose. We will put all of our time and effort into things that will not matter eternally. And then all of a sudden one day we'll look back and go, man, the church seems really delinquent as if the church is something else. But the church is me and it's you. It's not something else, it's us. And we have to get this. I'm gonna talk about the story of Joseph tonight for a few minutes and we're gonna kind of go in and out of that story from the Old Testament in Genesis uh, chapter 37. And what we're gonna talk about, I'm gonna go through five things and, and don't freak out. Um, Joe was telling me that you guys normally end these services at about 9.45, so we've got time. So um, two, two hours, from, I can get that, okay. That's a joke. Okay, so um, some, somebody's new tonight. They're like, no, I gotta go. Um, I'm, don't, I'm going through five things. They, they, they start longer and then they get shorter. So don't have an anxiety attack when I'm done with number two. 
um, we're gonna go through five characteristics of a God dream. And um, I have ADD, like for real I do, so just forgive me if I bounce all over the place, but we're gonna have fun, is that okay? You guys alive, you guys good, you guys having fun tonight? All right, here we go. Five characteristics of a God dream. Number one, your God, your God dream should be God-sized. Your God dream should be God-sized. If I were to say, what is your calling? What's your God dream? Remember, this is something where God has chosen you to do it. God gave you this purpose. You, you didn't just come up with this idea. A good idea is I'm gonna be a teacher. A good idea is I'm gonna be a pastor. A good idea is I'm going to accept this job. But a job is not a calling. It's what you do with the job. What do you do as a teacher? What do you do as a pastor, as an attorney, as a businessman, businesswoman? What do you do with it? That is the God dream. A God dream isn't saying your purpose in life is to be a teacher. A God dream is I am placing you over students that need you to be the godliest example you can be according to the rules and parameters around you, but you will live as Christ, you will be the light of Christ, and they will constantly look at you and say, what is so different about them? We had a funeral for a man in his mid-50s at our church just a couple months ago. He was a high school math teacher, and back in the day, we used to do these big Easter productions called The Messiah, and he played Jesus in The Messiah. And we had this funeral in our auditorium. If you pack it out, we'll see about 14 or 1500 people. There was standing room only and we had to open up other auditoriums and broadcast it to other auditoriums when this man's funeral took place just a few months ago. Because at church he played Jesus, but at school he lived it. And he, it is insane how many thousands of teenagers in a public school came to know Christ because a man said, my God dream isn't a teacher, it's what I do with it. What are you doing with it? A God dream isn't for you to go to church, it's what are you doing with it? Have we reduced church to attendance? Sunday, check. First Wednesday, every other first Wednesday, check. Small groups, eh, next semester, check. And we've reduced church to going to things if we have time. Guys, that's not church. Is gathering important? Yes, it's mandated. We need to, we have to. You understand the importance of that. But it's being the church, it's acting as the church, it's understanding all of our individual dreams so we can collectively come together and see a God dream come to pass for Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. Is your God dream God's size? This is what God is essentially saying. You do what's possible, I'll do the impossible. You do what's possible, I'll do the impossible. If you can accomplish your dream, it's not a God dream, it's not. If you can set up a 10-year plan to accomplish a God dream, it's not, it's a good dream. That, that's a goal. A God dream is, that's what you're telling me to do, it's impossible. It'll never happen, it's impossible. And God's saying, you do what's possible, I'll do what's impossible. You do what's possible, I'll do what's impossible. Genesis 37, five through seven says this. This is the story of Joseph. Um, the, Joseph has 11 brothers. He's the son of Jacob, who is Israel. And it, this story gets crazy right off the bat. Joseph was called the dreamer and it starts off like this in verse five. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. 
Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun, the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Well, he had 11 brothers. The sun is his father, the moon is his mother. Basically what he's telling his brothers is, guys, I had two dreams. In both of them, all you guys serve me. Isn't that awesome? I don't, I don't know about you, but if, if your younger sibling comes up to you and says, hey, I, I mean, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna start a company and, and you're gonna work for me, but not only work for me, you're gonna bow down to me. And, and I, I'm, you're gonna grovel and you're gonna bow down. I mean, we would look at our sibling and say, you're crazy, you're crazy but it was a God-sized dream. And we can debate on whether or not Joseph handled it correctly. I would venture to say no. If God gives you a God-sized dream and it has to do with people bowing down to you, you better go, this really better be a God dream. I'm not telling anybody unless you like audibly speak God or something because we have to know. So, but at the same time, it was huge. And he's sharing it to his brothers, maybe because he thinks it's impossible. Maybe it's almost like a joke. I don't know, but he shares it to them and they immediately obviously start getting bitter and resentment starts rising up in them. So what's your dream? Like Joseph, it was huge. And we find out later in the story what it is, but what's your dream? If you are living a life at the end of every day, you're thinking the routine is getting old. I I don't have fulfillment. The joy is lacking. Is this what life is always going to be about? We constantly have hope of a better day because today wasn't. We want a better day in the future because today wasn't. I'm telling you, you can be fulfilled right now, today, by simply just saying, God, what's my purpose? What's my God dream? It doesn't matter what your age is, what's your God dream? You want fulfillment? It's a God dream. I vividly remember the first time I felt like God gave me a a God dream. I was 16 years old at a summer camp. And at 16 years old at summer camp, you don't go to camp necessarily prepping to have these big experiences with God. I was prepping to meet girlfriends. And I mean, let's just be honest. I'm going to summer camp and I'm like, all right, cool. This is great. 16 years old. I'm going to meet girls. But there was this one night in the service, the guy was preaching on calling and something moved me, and, and I was at that stage a little bit numb as a pastor's kid. I had sat in thousands of church services, heard all of the sermons, heard a hundred stories, heard sermons on Joseph. I've heard them all. But this guy starts speaking on calling, and he says, do you know? Do you know why you're here? Why would God take all of the time to create you? And I didn't know. And I just randomly walked up to the front during the altar call, and it was like right over here, and there's just this old chapel building at our camp in New Mexico. And it wasn't emotionally heightened or anything. I just knelt down and said, God, what's my purpose? Give me a dream, because I don't have one. And it was like in that moment, a ton of bricks hit me in a good way, and I was spiritually leveled. I I mean, I, I, I lost track of time, and I ended up finding out that I was there for an hour and a half and didn't move, because I was so overtaken by God in that moment. And that was the time God called me to full-time ministry. It's only one of two times in my entire life where I would even remotely think about saying I had an actual vision. 
God just started flooding my mind with, with images of, of teenagers and images of things in our city and, and schools and, and literal doors opening. And I could see doors opening in schools and the, the public school system was on lockdown back then in Albuquerque and no youth pastors were allowed. All of those things were flooding in my mind at 16. I didn't even become a youth pastor until I was 23. At 16 years old, this God dream hits me. And I remember going to bed that night at camp going, that's impossible, impossible. And my camp counselor that night, I don't even remember his name, like the, the youth leader that was there. I said, I just feel like all this stuff is impossible. And I was reluctantly sharing it. And he said, that's how you know it's God. It's a God dream. It's big. It's a God dream. A God dream absolutely is impossible in the present. We can go through Bible character after Bible character after Bible character. David, anointed king, the least likely in his family, what was anointed over him as the king, the mighty king of Israel, in that moment was impossible. It was impossible. It could not happen. But they were speaking something in the present that would happen in the future, but it was impossible. Abraham, God told Abraham to look up at the stars and say, you're gonna have descendants that number the stars and the sand on the seashore. And Abraham's looking up and looking down going, impossible. And God's saying it's impossible right now, but it's going to be possible later. We can go through Bible character after Bible character, story after story of people in your church, in my church, it's the same thing. But it's a matter of us right now believing that something can actually happen in my life, in your life, and in these types of churches that want to do something great. Joseph's dream was big, but where it starts shifting is that the people closest to him didn't give it a chance. And that's where many of us stopped our God dream. And it leads me to number two. The second characteristic is this. Your God dream will face human opposition. Your God dream will face human opposition. Genesis 37, starting in verse eight, says this. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Verse 10. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. His father kept the matter in mind. Immediately what we see here is human opposition. Again, we can debate whether or not Joseph handled it the right way. Either way, there's human opposition. There's very few people you could feel that you could go up to somebody and say, hey, this is my God dream. Because even me, I, I, I'm a big thinker. And sometimes when people come up to me and go, this is what God's called me to do, my human nature wants to look back and go, mm, let's just be honest, you know? That's our human nature because we see through a human lens. I, just because I believe God can do something great in me doesn't mean I naturally believe that God can do something great in other people. I have to fight against my human nature to believe. But a lot of people are just negative. And when you go up to them and say, this is what I believe we can do. This is what I believe I can do, what you can do. Their automatic, automatic response is gonna be no, you can't. Do you honestly think that can happen? And just because there's so much power in our words so many people are defeated just by what someone, a human, says back to another human when the God of the universe just spoke something into existence. God says, this can happen. And another person says, no, it can't. We go, you're right. I know God of the universe just said it could, but you're right, it can't. So you look at this dream and um, Joseph's story isn't starting off too well, obviously. And um, 
I, I remember vividly when I was younger, when I started sharing, the first person I went up to was my, was my youth pastor at the time. And I said, God gave me a dream. Basically, I'm going to take your job. I don't really know when that is, but back, I mean, seriously, that's kind of what happened. He was laughing at me. He was like, go away. You know, like, but that I started sharing it and then people were, I mean, he believed in me, but other people were like, no, no. And I started just pulling it in and I decided I was going to believe it. I remember being 11 years old, kind of jumping back in time. I mentioned our church went through a huge church split when I was 11, 12 years old. My dad had just become the senior pastor of our church and had this vision, <laughs> a great commission vision, that we're gonna actually go out of the church walls and we're gonna reach people. And people were like, woo, that's awesome. It's so crazy how everybody is on board when you say it, but when you start doing it, it's very interesting to see all the people that fall off the board. It's like, I don't know, well, hold on, hold on. Something actually has to change to do that? Yeah, a lot of things. And when my dad started changing stuff in the staff, and I don't remember any of that, I was 11. But what I do remember is it all came to this horrible moment where after a year of one of our other pastors taking board members out to lunch and out to coffee for one entire year, saying pastor isn't qualified, he's not deep enough, it's all this evangelistic stuff, he's gonna get too surfacy, and it's gonna become about all these other people and your own kids are gonna suffer spiritually because they're gonna look beyond them. All of those things <clears throat> were happening. My dad had no clue. And it all builds up to this one business meeting. And if you're not into the whole church world, this is one of those yucky sides of the church world. But trust me, the ending to this story is good. God's always triumphant. But anyways, this business meeting, I remember being 12 year, 11 or 12 years old sitting on the front row. The auditorium was packed because everybody knew the tension was building. This other staff member had created a case against my dad that he wasn't spiritually sound enough, doctrinally sound enough. He wasn't a good preacher. He would have different board members sit down in his office and say, I like this church, but I have to go to the church down the road when these services are over because you're such a bad speaker. Like those types of things, writing letters. And my dad's kept all of them. And sometimes I just go through them and cry, honestly. When I read some of these letters from people, how brutal they were because a pastor wanted to reach people. 500 people got up out of our church and left and never came back that day. Mathematically, our, our church, I mean, money-wise, should have closed its doors. But it didn't. But it didn't. We looked at the Great Commission and said, we're going for it anyways. People kind of started getting saved, baptized. People started coming. But because of the wounds of the church, but my dad was a little bit more timid. Insecurity rised up in him. But I remember this, and I'll never forget this night ever. And I remembered this all through middle school and high school, and it's the number one reason besides God calling me that I wanted to become a pastor. I remember one night in the, in the thick of this church split and all of these people saying brutal things to my dad, and I started catching wind of some of this, and I started having a negative mindset towards church. I don't even like it anymore if people are like that. In the middle of the night, one night, I, I remember waking up and I could hear my dad talking at like 2.30 in the morning. I'm like, what is, what is my dad doing? And so I went over and he was upstairs in our guest room at the time and he's not in his room. I was like, who is he talking to? So I go and I, I sit outside the door and what I ended up finding was my dad, I cracked the door, he's on his knees at 2.30 in the morning and he had written down every single person's name who had, had slandered him, who had come against my family, all of their names. And he's saying, God, bless their marriage, bless their family. God bless them, bless them, bless them, bless them. And I was 11 or 12 years old just crying, sitting outside that door, 
And I remember thinking, that's my dad. I do love the church. I do love God. I do want this and I love this and I see the power of it. And it's an incredible thing. But the point is, when there's a God dream, we will face human opposition. It's coming. We're gonna face it. Number three, your God dream will also face circumstantial opposition. And I'll hit this one pretty quick. Your God dream will face circumstantial opposition. Sometimes your God dream just faces opposition that nobody did, but just because we live in a broken world, sometimes the God dream just faces random opposition. I want you to look at this in Genesis 37, starting in verse 26, says this. So Joseph is, is out and his brothers have built this claim, his whole case against him, and they, their jealousy has led to want to kill him. I've been mad at my two younger brothers before. I've been jealous of my younger brothers. I've even thought kind of sarcastically in my mind, I wanna kill you, but I have never plotted their death, okay? Like I've never been like, I want to kill you and I am planning it. Nope, I mean, I don't wanna say nobody does that, but we'll just say nobody does that. Their bro- this hatred is so huge that they were plotting his death and, and this is what ends up happening in the story. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. So like, after all, he is our brother. I mean, so let's just sell him into slavery. I mean, that, that makes it better. After all, he is our brother. So his brothers agreed. Yes, we'll be nice. Let's sell him into slavery. <laughs> How backward the thinking is. 28. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the well, out of the pit, and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And when we see Joseph's story, yes, it's still human opposition, but the Ishmaelites are coming by. That was circumstantial. Then once he gets in with the Ishmaelites, they take him to a man's house named Potiphar and then circumstantial stuff happens to where it's great one day and everything comes crashing down another day. The rest of Joseph's story weaving in and out and this, he's in Egypt and he's up and down. He's in prison. He's out of prison. He's being betrayed and lied about. He's up, he's down. And his story, is, I mean, it seems like the way we all tell our life story up and down and up and down. You look at someone like Joseph and you go, I identify with that. In Genesis 39, Potiphar's wife, that whole situation leads him to prison. She accuses him of coming on to her, but it was the opposite. So he has to go to prison. Then the baker and the cupbearers have dreams and Joseph interprets it and, they, and then he has an up moment. And then there's two more years that he's in prison. And then all of a sudden he's placed in second command of all of Egypt and basically rescues the nation. It's up and down and up and down. And we feel like that's how our life is all around. Up and down and up and down. But here's what's crazy. We think that's abnormal. Like, why is my life all ups and downs? I mean, raise your hand if your life is not up and down. Nobody. Okay, it's normal. Life is up and down. Why? Because this isn't heaven yet. Heaven is the only forever up. It's up and down. Why? Not because you sin, but because there is sin. We don't get punished because of our sin. I, I saw this thing the other day on Facebook that, you know, all this stuff with Harvey and, and you know, the, the next two hurricanes coming, Irma and Jose, and now there's Katia or whatever. I mean, it's, people are like, well, it's because of the sin of the people in those cities. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Then there would be a natural disaster in every town, every city, every home, because there's sin in every home, in all of us. But we just live in a broken world. When Adam and Eve first sinned, that sin unleashed brokenness. And it's like a glass shattering 
all through history, this glass just keeps shattering. These shards are going out and out and out. But one day Jesus promises, I'm coming back. And when he comes back, he takes all the shards, puts it all back together the way it was originally intended to be in the Garden of Eden, and he establishes heaven. But until then, we deal with the brokenness. How? We bring as much heaven as we can here right now. That's our job. That's our purpose. That's our God dream. But the circumstantial opposition is just life. I've seen so many people walk away from a dream, walk away from a calling because of life. And they go, obviously God didn't call me to do this because this is hard. Like it's hard. Life is hard. Waking up is hard. It's not that the God dream is hard. It's that life is hard. Why would I give up on a God who would never give up on me? Why would I walk away? Because life is tough. That's what it is. Life is tough. It equals tough. It's hard. We, it's, it's a difficult thing. We all know that. But I'm driving this home because so many people walk away for excuses like that. And we can't. The world is literally depending on us. This city, this town, is, this county is literally depending on you. But you have to have a God dream. This church has a God dream. We are mandated in scripture to be a part of church, to be a part of the body of Christ. And when there's a vision like this, a great commission vision, a vision to reach the young generation, it mirrors what Jesus was about, what Paul was about, the apostles. It mirrors the, the first century church. And we want that. We want that kind of explosion. But what comes with it? A God dream. Opposition comes with it. We have to expect it. My dad says all the time in almost every single one of his sermons, he says, put opposition on your calendar. It's coming. Stop being surprised by negativity. He's like, if ever, he said all the thousands of meetings I've ever had, he said, I've never had someone sit in there and go, I was expecting it. Why don't we expect it? He said, everybody's shocked. I can't believe this happens. And he goes, why? Why can't you believe that happened? Why? I mean, are, are, why, why do we live lives that we're shocked every time something bad happens? That's life. But we have a God who walks us through it and promises that even the bad, will, evil will ultimately have to bow down to him. And our God promises, even if I didn't cause the evil, it will bow down to me and I will force the evil to work into good. Romans 8, 28, he will work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's that's our bet. That's what we count on. That even this bad, God's not saying, hey, you need to find good in that bad situation. A lot of people say that. Well, the Bible says you need to find good in every situation. The Bible doesn't say that. Sometimes there's things that are only bad. But what the Bible does promise is that that bad season, that bad moment, that bad day, it has to submit to God. And he'll take it, reweave it, and make it bow down to him. And that's how he's constantly conquering Satan. Number four, your God dream will grow you. You guys still with me, by the way? Okay, your God dream will grow you. It will grow, grow you, it will mold you, it'll make you think bigger, and it'll teach you different perspectives, a higher perspective on everything. A God dream pushes you, it pushes you. I remember that moment when I was 16 like it was yesterday, and that has been the driving factor of my life. When I was 18, 19 years old, I went through a little season of doubting, but I could go into an occupation where I could actually make money. 
that would be nice. Wait, no, I'm called to be a pastor. You know, like, but it's whatever. And I remember all these other things, like I could do that. I mean, people say, if you weren't a pastor, what would you be? I would probably be an architect. I love architecture. I love being in charge of new endeavors with our building. I love that. And I could have been a good architect, but that's not why God created me. I have to stay in my lane what God called me to do and figure out the why behind it, like what I'm saying, but our God dream will grow us. Every little thing that Joseph went through, good and bad, good and bad, was a part of God's purpose, how? And this is where a lot of people get hung up, and I was talking about this a second ago. A lot of people get hung up on like, let's say Hurricane Harvey, all the devastation in Houston and the surrounding area. What good and loving God would do that? And God's like, I didn't do that but I'm in charge of it. What do you mean? He didn't do that. You think God is forcing a hurricane to kill people and destroy people? No, that's the result of a broken world, a broken world outside of the Garden of Eden, not because of our specific sin, but because of sin in general. It broke the world and it's coming, but what God is promising is I'm in charge of it. I'm even in charge of the destruction in the way that when the destruction happens, I will take the destruction, reweave it, rebuild lives because that's what I do. I'm not the destroyer, I'm the rebuilder. And he rebuilds everything. He starts taking things that were meant for destruction and taking things that were meant for evil and he'll reweave it back to his purpose. That's why no one is ever too far gone no situation is ever too destructive. No life is ever over until their last breath because God is a rebuilder. He's a restorer. He's not a destroyer. Our God dream will grow us. You know what I love in this story? And I think the thing that grew Joseph, all through this story, the good and the bad, what you'll find tucked away, but God was with him. But God was with him. You know, it's an interesting fact with this whole story, besides the dream, God, you know, God giving him the dream, there's never a conversation between Joseph and God. God gives him dreams, but there's not these conversations. But the Bible just subtly throws things in there, but God was with him. Wait, so God was with Joseph when he was at the bottom of a pit and his brothers, his own flesh and blood were plotting his murder and throwing him and selling him into slavery, but God was with him? Why would I wanna serve that God, the God that was with him there? But then the Bible says, when he was second in command of all of Egypt, saving the nation, but God was with him, but God was with him. Did God do the evil things? No, but God was with him, he was with him. If you will have a different perspective on our calling, your God dream, the world, what you'll see and what will stop asking is why would a good and loving God do that and we'll start seeing, look what a loving, good and loving God is restoring and rebuilding. Look what a good and loving God is doing in Ohio and Albuquerque and all of these different churches. I have people coming to me saying, man, it just feels like everything's going to, I mean, hell in a handbasket in the world right now. I mean, it's just gone, done. I mean, it seems like the church is delinquent, that there's nothing good happening. I, I don't see that. I see some of the greatest churches in America rising right now, right now. And in obscure places, in some of the bigger, it doesn't matter. I see it happening right now, but it's going to ha take churches like this, looking at a young generation and saying, hey, they're the hope. We're all a part of it, but they're the hope. When I look at the nine, 10 and 11 year olds in our church, I think about the future that they're gonna have to live in. And I go, it's all on them. It's on them. 
and I look over the people that are saying the, the music's too loud and I don't like that worship song and I'm going over here because the sermon isn't deep enough and I'm like, go, I'll roll out the red carpet because we don't have time for that. People are dying and going to hell and our world is going in the wrong direction and people are arguing over worship songs. Are you kidding me? We can't do it, we have to grow. We have to rise above that and let the God dream grow us. I got a one amen. Can I get some more amens to that? All right. That stuff doesn't happen here. I love this story and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, jump to the, I'll jump to number five and, and kind of bring this to a close. I had more, but my ADD took me places. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit, whatever. Number five, your God dream needs you to dream again. Your God dream needs you to dream again. You know what I, what I love in, and I'm, man, I've, I've talked about it a lot, is that when things seem gone and hopeless, they aren't. Don't let that be a cliche statement to you. When things seem gone and hopeless, they aren't. The two days leading up to me coming here, I was going through one of the worst situations I've gone through yet being a pastor, working with a couple people who I have had so much hope in, younger people, maybe even being future staff members at our church, and this weekend did something that shocked the, the staff of our church, and we're walking through that. I talked to the young man. It was, it was big, very big deal. And I talked to the young man yesterday before I left, and, and I said, hey, nothing's over, man. This can be the true beginning if you let it. If you believe it, this can be the true beginning. And I looked at him and said, I'm preaching a sermon tomorrow night in Ohio, and my last point is you have to dream again. And I looked at him and said, dream again, again. God is not the God of endings. He's the God of beginnings. <clears throat> dream again. Wherever life has taken you, dream again. Yeah, I, mean, you, you, I, I love, I love that this church, how many years have you pastored this church, senior pastored? 34 years senior pastoring. And we're dreaming again, again. We have a dreamer for a pastor. We're dreaming again. So it's not just our individual dreams. Your dream matters here. Yes, it matters in the world, but it also matters here with the body of Christ you're a part of. How does it fit with this dream? The leader of this house is dream. How, how does it fit? What are we supposed to do? We're a church of all ages, reaching a young generation, the older generation. I'll, I'll end with this. A lot of people, when we first launched this vision, they, they didn't hear the part that we're a church of all ages. All they heard was we're a church that reaches the young generation and people just didn't like it. The very first day I was announced as the youth pastor. My youth pastor was up there. He was going to plant a church. It was a great move, perfect timing. He gave me the, the keys to the youth ministry, the whole little thing, you know, that everybody does. The keys to the youth, it was great. I'm walking up on the stage and I get there some of the church is clapping. I'll say most of the church is clapping to make myself feel better. Most of the church was clapping. The senior adults pastor at the time stood up, maybe on the third or fourth row. I got up on the stage, 23 years old, nervous, excited. The senior adults pastor stood up and went like this. He went, forget it. 30 people from his ministry get up, walk out. In the first 30 seconds of me being the youth pastor. And I was like, well, this is great. All right, sorry, dad, we're cleaning house. Thir first 30 seconds. Wrote a letter to the board saying he, the pastor's hiring his son. He's not even competent. How could, how could we hire his son just because he's his son? Like all that kind of stuff. 
My dad didn't tell me that until like 10 years later, or I couldn't have handled it. But you know, it was so weird. He, they left and it, it was a big deal. We launched this vision though, all that to say, a lot of people, they like the idea of the next generation, but what does it cost us? What it cost us is me. That's what it costs us. A lot of people looked at our church back then, they don't even care about the older generation, blah, 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 blah. And my dad was meeting with people in the older generation saying, hey, go on this journey with us. These kids need parents and grandparents. They need investment. If we invest in 10 years, they're gonna be the leaders of our church and we're gonna be impacting a city. Some couldn't see it. They couldn't get past their own ideas of what church should be. It should be for them. And my dad was saying, no, it should be for them. And we come together as an entire generation and say it's, it's them. They're the hope. They're the hope of the world, them. We all play a part. They're the bullseye. Right now in our church, 10 years after we launched that vision, 10 years later, we have more percent right now. 30, 30% of our church, one third, is over 60 years old. One third, one third. People wouldn't believe that. We've had people criticize our church. That's just a young church. That's just a young, no, no, no. Wanna know the difference? One third of our church over 65 is mobilized to reach the young generation. They're mentoring people in schools, taking in college students that don't have family for Thanksgiving and Christmas. They're investing. You need time, you need time, you need wisdom, mentoring, I'll be here. You need gas money, I'll be here. And the young, older generation is investing in the young. And our church over the last 10 years has done some pretty crazy things. This last spring, I, I witnessed at our university, we have this big theater at our, at our public university, the University of New Mexico. It seats 2,500 people. We launched a college ministry when I, the day I became youth pastor, we launched, we launched a college ministry as well, three people in a living room. In April, I'm standing in the biggest theater in Albuquerque. The first, it's 100 years old, the first time a church service has ever been in that theater. I'm witnessing 2,500 college students sitting in this building. We had to turn 200 away. 580 college students gave their lives to Christ. I, I'm not, it's, it's insane. And I remember launching this. My younger brother leads it now. He's amazing with that age group. I remember launching this with three people going, hey, one day we're gonna take you and him. And they're like, okay, you know. I'm standing in the back. I can get emotional about it. I'm st- we're standing in the back of this theater. I'm standing next to my dad. And I look at him and I go, we did it. We did it. And we're gonna keep doing it. We're gonna keep dreaming again. In two, at the end of 2018, we're, we're checking right now for dates, but it looks like we're going to rent the UNM basketball arena, which holds 10,000. And we're going to try to pack out 10,000 college students and try to see several, several thousand college students come to know Christ. I wanna know where this started. The pastor saying, it's gonna be real and we're gonna reach a young generation. It's going to happen. But we need to mobilize people. Church has to become more than attendance. A dream has to become more than a good dream, it has to be a God dream. And if we press on and say, we're gonna reach a generation, I promise you, it will happen. There is nothing special about us. All it was was willingness to say, let's go, let's go, let's do this. One of my best friends 
in the world, her name, I still call her Sister Smith. She's 100 years old. I went to her 100th birthday and she was my dad's biggest champion at 90 years old, saying, let's go for it, pastor. Let's go for it. Let's reach a young generation. He called her that night after that service at the university, said, Sister Smith, I wanna tell you what happened. Thank you for hanging. Thank you for staying. Her husband was a pastor at our church in the 60s, in the 60s. And he said, thank you for staying. And she said, I would do it over again 100 times. I'm gonna close. I'm gonna pray a prayer over you guys. I called Joe, was it yesterday, that phone conversation? Man, today's been a long day. I called Joe yesterday. I was in line at Chick-fil-A on my way to football practice. I called Joe and I said, Joe, I just, I, I just feel God is on this. Our churches are so similar. Our pastors are our dads and their stories are so similar. We're in the exact same position at our churches. Our, it, every time, and I'm like, this is a God thing, man. I hope and I pray that something I say, something that God does through me unlocks something right before this whole new area is opened. Do you guys believe? Do you guys believe that this county, this region, that this will be the beacon of hope for the next generation? This church, Believer's Church, will be the beacon of hope for the next generation. Do you guys believe that? Do you believe it? I've gone a long time. I might as well go to 940. <laughs> I'm gonna pray, and, and I, I want you guys to pray with me. And I'm, is it okay, Joe, if I just turn it over to you after this? I, um, I believe this with my whole heart, guys. I've seen it. I've seen it. One more thing. I I'm going to do it. I don't even care. One more thing. Home our, we, we decided a year ago, there's a school, our, our church, it's a new building, new building, five, six years old, but we're in, in, in the worst um, quadrant in Albuquerque for crime and, and, and poverty. And um, it's it a God thing, an unbelievable God thing. The, the school, the high school in, in our area is called Highland High School. You can Google it. It's a 5A high school, and it's ranked in the bottom, not 10%, in the bottom 10, 10 public high schools on every single thing you can measure for a high school. Their graduation rate is like 18 or 19%. Um, uh, they have, there are more, they have, for fathers that live in the home, I think it was under 30%. Um, and we started partnering with this school saying, what can we do, what can we do? So our church just said, well, let's, let's start. We're, we're building stuff on their school campus. The principal's like, I'm, I'm out of ideas, come do stuff. We're building a huge rec center where mentoring is gonna take place with our church people, young and old, to mentor these students and to raise the graduation rate every year. We are, their homecoming football game is in a few weeks and they average, a 5A high school, they average between 40 and 50 fans on a Friday night for a football game. Unbelievable. There's no family support, nothing. Our church just purchased 750 tickets and 750, hopefully we're trying to get to 1,000 people are gonna go tailgating at their homecoming game. We all bought Highland High School t-shirts and we're gonna go to their homecoming game and we're gonna pack out the stadium. And the other team's gonna come and go, what in the world is happening here? To show support. We had people in our church rally together that bought the entire football team new pads, new helmets, new jerseys, new football equipment. And the principal just said, the principal is coming to our church now. The head football uh, coach is coming to our church now. 
I preached on Father's Day and we handed the football coach a big check for the football, all the football equipment. 28 varsity football players came. 18 of them gave their lives to Christ on a Sunday morning on Father's Day. And every time I go through this, on the airplane, I'm coming here and I'm going, my dad had a dream for our church. Our church picked up on it. Our church said, this is our dream and we're going for it. We went for it. And we're, more could have, could have happened. I'm not saying we're nailing it on all ends. More could have happened, but I believe more will happen. And I'm just telling you these stories to show you little snapshots of what could be. Make it happen. Make it happen. It's a God dream. It may seem impossible. You do what's possible. God will do the impossible. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this season, for this church. God, I pray with every bit of faith in me. I believe that this church will be a beacon of hope for the young generation, the old generation, everyone. But that this church, the people will rally together and say the hope of the world is in the hands of teenagers. We believe it because in the years to come, they're the leaders. They're the leaders. As the world gets darker, as the world gets darker, let's believe a generation can get brighter and brighter. The light can shine brighter and brighter. Give us our personal God dreams tonight, God, even as we lay in bed. But as you begin to reveal our individual God dream, let us see how that weaves together and fits as the body of Christ, because the church is the hope of the world. The government is not, nations are not, presidents are not, kings are not. The church is the hope of the world. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.